On a scale of one to ten, how acceptable is swearing? Ten. You can swear as much as you want. We don't care. Especially if you've, if it's to describe ORD, because apparently it's um, it's a nemesis of yours. <laughs> yes, it is. I hate that place. I will save whatever expletives I have for O'Hare. <laughs> uh, let me play it. Um, you still haven't moved it. It's still super far. Look, I'm out of frame. <laughs> I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Both good luck. We're three people today. Nespa, Alex. Nespa, indeed. It's a, it's a nice and rare treat to have somebody else basically doing the work. <laughs> exactly. You know, usually I've write all these notes down to prepare a show and you very kindly follow my lead. I mean, my lead, my very bad lead. But this time I was like, you know what? Ah, it's a day off. It's a summer, summer holidays. Very European. I didn't have to work because... We have, uh, we have a guest, it's a treat for the summer. Uh, just before Alex leaves for his big holiday, uh, so we wanted to have one more episode in the can. Kyle, hello Kyle, how are you? I'm great, I'm so excited to be here with you and, and fill up some of the air on the podcast. <laughs> Although you two don't need a whole lot of help, so I could, I could imagine this being two hours of me listening, which would be just fine because that's what no, I do anyway. No, no. no I, th I think our, the audience is tired of, of, of especially me babbering about all the time. Um, so let's play the music for Gen Kenai and we're going to meet of the, the topic. I just need to call this the Gen Kenai theme. <laughs> As you can see, Kyle, all is done live. I love it. Yeah, we, don't, we don't do any, yeah. There's no post-production. That's our new We well, You used to edit I, it. I'm resetting the room for those who will come and uh, maybe discover the show because Kyle will have talked about it. Uh, we are an aviation podcast, but are we? We're more like usually two blokes just chatting around for like two hours every five weeks. And um, yeah, it's all produced live. It's not edited, of course, when we have a guest and we would be very kind to Kyle today. If he requires an edit or, or if I say something so stupid, I will obviously edit. We're recording today the 6th of July, uh, 2023. Uh, happy 4th, both of you guys. We just Thank had you. your independence. Thank you. Like we had anything to do with it. But it was <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> However, a note, because they all ask us that this is not going to be live just yet. It'll be live somewhere in July. But of course, I always say that. And then, of course, people, when they listen to it, that's where it goes live. So I don't know why I even uh, bother to saying that. So welcome, Kyle. Can you, I mean, first of all, the reason we have you is it's been a long, 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 long time in the making, because I think we, first of all, you've been a, you've been a listener for a very long time. I remember seeing your name. I think it was mostly on Twitter interacting with us uh, for a long time, including pre-COVID when I say long time. <laughs> and right. uh, we had this idea of actually inviting you. And of course, then COVID came through and stopped all our plans for having guests. And then uh, we talked about it again. And it's finally, after all these years, it's, it's coming. And uh, you've been an invaluable resource, actually, in many things, uh, including Delta. And we'll, we'll touch upon Delta, of course. And a lot through your work as well, but I'll let you maybe uh, first introduce yourself and let us, and especially let the audience know who you are. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it, this has been a, lo a long time coming, um, <laughs> but this is a lot of fun to be able to talk with you both because there are too many podcasts um, and too few really good ones and fun ones and people who just love what they're talking about instead of feel some kind of obligation to put out one podcast a month or a week or several a week. Um, so, this is a lot of fun. Thank you. So, me, I am uh, the executive editor, which is just a fancy sounding title for editor, 
um, of a website called Thrifty Traveler, which is a US-based um, travel and flight deal website. Um, so the company, you know, does a, a couple of different things. Chiefly, you know, we run a flight deal subscription service. So, you know, you pay us a certain amount of money a year. We send you flight deals directly to your inbox, um, both, you know, cheap cash fares as well as um, points and miles deals as well. Um, and then what I do is, you know, I just write stupid words on the internet and on social media um, and get to be, you know, a bit of an a-hole while doing so. Uh, especially on social media. Uh, but, you know, covering the airline industry, um, you know, really with a North American focus, writing guides about, you know, everything from, you know, how to find cheap flights and using Google Flights to, um, you know, the inner workings of fairly niche airline mileage programs. Um, it is a lot of fun. Um, I still pinch myself all the time that I've been doing this for um, almost five years now and just can't imagine a more fun job, um, you know, coming from a journalism background to, to write about something that really delights people like you guys, which again, that's the reason why your podcast is so fun. Why I'm so excited to be talking with you both, um, is because just the joy that you guys have for travel is so fun and being a, even the smallest piece of that in people's lives is, is just such a privilege. That's kind. That's very kind. Thank you very much. You should say your, because that will, for a lot of people that will actually put context, your Twitter handle, because I've been mentioning, and Alex has been mentioning it many, many, many times over this show. So as soon as you say it, maybe people will have, oh, of course, now I know this name. Sure, sure. It's uh, K Potter MN, which I always have to point out now, it's not K Potter Man, which I think people's brains just see the M and the N and they stick an A in there and just have it in their heads. I've gotten that so many times. K Potter MN as in Minnesota, which is my home state and with the Twitter handle that was available when I signed up for Twitter like a decade and a half ago. Yeah, there's a new gold rush right now with that new thread, whatever yeah. the thing from Instagram. I already put layovers there, lay at lay underscore overs, because right now I think you can only use the username you have on Instagram. I think, yeah. Yeah, but you got to gotta lock it in. Yeah, lock it in just for, for the podcast, but I, I don't do anything with it. So, uh, yeah, very US-centric. It's good that you say that because we, especially since COVID, we've been traveling a bit less. Usually I rely on Alex to be our source of US-centric uh, stories. And uh, the fact that you are there, well, uh, is actually good because it gives us a window into a market that we know Alex knows it much better than I do. However, we haven't been talking about it a lot. We will be talking about it in the next few months because Alex is going to the US in a few days, actually, uh, for uh, for a few weeks. So we will experience some some of that. But we're very happy to have you for that because a lot of people, a lot of the audience actually is based in the US. I know that they love that we talk about other markets, but some sometimes we get feedback that we don't talk enough about the US. So, well, we are very happy that you're here uh, to do so. Uh, what's your home airport? Minneapolis, St. Paul um, is my home airport. So, I am a, a Delta hub captive. Uh, I don't have much of a choice of which airline I fly uh, because Delta runs, you know, 70 plus percent of the flights in and out of MSP, which if you had to pick one airline to, you know, have Stockholm syndrome with, Delta is a pretty good pretty good one to be stuck with here in the states uh, as far as i'm concerned yeah we have ba alex mm. <laughs> i yeah, i think uh, i i think i win um i think you win too yeah <laughs> i think you win but too. maybe before we go into the nitty-gritty of avgi curry um where does your love of flying or travel or airplanes and including journalism as well uh, come from the the honest answer is i don't really know it just kind of happened 
Um, the major through line I can come up with is, you know, years ago, I think it was probably 2016, um, you know, my wife and I, my now wife and I um, planned, uh, you know, what to that point was really our only big trip abroad, which, you know, took us to Thailand, Vietnam, and then Japan. Oh, nice. And, you know, that trip, I mean, you know, I was 25, 26. It wasn't like I, I was, you know, had a life full of travel and always knew that this is something that was going to be a major piece of my life, let alone my career. Not even close. But the, the the process of, you know, obviously taking that trip and going to some amazing places, um, but also the the thrill of the pieces of putting together that trip and all of the flights and the hotels, it was... It's just like a light bulb went off, you know, like if you can have both sides of that, of the joy of planning travel and then also the joy of taking the trip, that's a complete experience. So, I think, you know, after that trip, it was just very clear that this was going to be a, a part of my life and something that I would was really focused on. You know, in the past, it was soccer or football, excuse me, I'm so sorry, um, <laughs> and <laughs> And golf and music. Um, and, you know, this has been now, you know, basically a decade-long love affair um, of travel that I've really committed my life and, and my work to. Um, and I, it really does, I think, kind of tie back to that trip at the start of it. From the vintage point of people that are slightly older than you, this is a virus that will never leave you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it stuck with me forever. I, I understand that. And all, all of my money in my free time is, is out the window now. It's, it's banked in my, you know, mental checkbook that that's where that's going. And that's fine. In terms of things to devote your life to, that's a pretty darn good one. There's worse. There's worse. Yeah, there's, there's, absolutely, there's absolutely worse. So maybe uh, to start with uh, a few topics that uh, I wanted to talk to you about. Maybe the first one, because you mentioned a thrifty traveler. Do you want to mention the website? Is it thriftytraveler.com? Is that correct? thriftytraveler.com you nailed it one of the things that i always noted through your through your twitter account and of course through the website as well is you talk a lot about cheap travel which we are sometimes guilty alex and i of not doing because we talk about the pointy end of the aircraft because these are the memorable experiences and we have a lot of miles but most of the people on this planet do not travel in the pointy end uh travel either low cost or seek like um, very cheap travel because maybe some of them also maybe don't really value the the travel as much as the destination. They want to go somewhere and might not actually really value how they get there uh, besides going by plane because they don't want to take too much time. Do you, um, I mean, we've seen since uh, since co since post-COVID, I don't know how to describe that because everybody talks post-COVID, but we don't really know when post-COVID started. <laughs> uh, We've, we've all seen an inflation in pricing all around the globe. Um, I, I have, of course, I've mentioned some numbers, but they were mostly international. So from the US to Europe, from Europe to Asia, which is Asia is really, really going super, super expensive uh, right now from all, all over the world, if you want to go to Asia or in Japan in particular. What's your view? How have you seen that inflation going on in, 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 in the US? And um, maybe is it still possible to travel cheaply? <laughs> it is because, you know, inflation is really tough because it's undeniable. You see it in almost everything. But whether it's the grocery store or airfare, inflation is not a monolith. You know, these, there are these big picture numbers um, that are raising the cost of, you know, basically everything that we do, including being able to get on a plane, whether you're at the back of the back of the bus or at the front in the pointy end. But those are made up of 
millions upon millions of airfares and not all of them are up, you know, 15, 30, 40% year over year. Some of them are down. Um, so, you know, I have the benefit of working with people who are much smarter than me who look at these individual airfares every single day, 24, 7, 365, basically. And so, within the undeniable trend that airfare is up, you know, there are some, you know, I would say micro trends where airfare is down or at least, you know, considerably um, more affordable. The big one right now is that, you know, within the U.S., this time a year ago, domestic airfare was nuts. I mean, flights that used to cost, you know, $200 or less round trip were in the five or six hundreds because there were still international travel restrictions um, up until, you know, about this time, you know, both for entering places in Europe as well as, you know, obviously elsewhere in Asia, but also for getting back into the United States because up until, um, you know, June of 2022, you needed a negative COVID test in order to re-enter the United States after going to any country abroad, which meant that people were not comfortable planning those big trips to Europe and Asia and South America or wherever. So, domestic travel was going gangbusters this time last year. The demand for travel outpaced the supply and airfare went through the roof. Fast forward to present day and man, you guys are going to get clobbered by Americans this summer if you're not already. I mean, we are. The, the amount of people that are, I mean, go anywhere, go on Twitter, go on Instagram. Everybody is in Portugal, in London, in Paris, you know, pick a spot. It's going to be crowded and it's going to be more crowded probably than ever with American tourists. And, you know, it, the, the, the inverse is true this year. Um, domestic airfare has fallen and it continues falling. And, you know, the, one of the most interesting trends for me is that like clockwork, one and a half to two months out, um, you know, before departure for a domestic flight, we continue to see prices fall because airlines were too bullish on domestic travel demand, um, priced a little too high. And what do you do when you need to, to fill some seats? You cut airfare. Um, so that really is one of the big stories that we're seeing here in the States price-wise. You know, and again, the inverse is true for international travel. You know, those trips to Europe um, from here in the States, especially over the summer, those seats are gone. You know, um, airline executives said months ago, that they were, you know, 80, 85% load factors um, transatlantic um, heading into the summer. And there's just not enough. There's not enough capacity in order to, to sell those cheap fares to Europe over the summer. Are you flying domestically in the US, uh, Alex, this summer? Sort of. I think if you count Hawaii to California as domestics, yeah, um, I am. I'm actually, well, actually, I'm, in, I'm doing an intra-island flight. I'm doing Honolulu to Lahui. Um, and then I'm doing Lahui to San Jose in California. So, and actually, you know, what you just said, Kyle, I could see, I could see in those fairs, you know, they weren't eye-watering. And it's interesting because my wife and I had done the same, same legs a couple of years before, and it was half the price it is. Uh, we paid this year, half the price we paid during COVID. Um, so I can, I can absolutely see that. And what are we, let's see. And it would have been around the same booking window that you just described one and a half to two months out. And I was seeing very appealing, not too painful fares available on most dates that I wanted to fly. 
and I looked at a bunch of different routes to see if there was, you know, anything a little bit cheaper, but no, it wasn't, it, it, it's absolutely, uh, supporting what you said. Not that you're lying or making it up, <laughs> but we have the data to prove it. Little do you know. Alex, you're the data. <laughs> no. So Alex, where are you, where are you going? Or sorry, what airline are you flying within Hawaii, inter-island? Hawaiian. And I was disappointed. I mean, I've got no issue with them, but I was disappointed because it's not an area I know well. And I glance at that market maybe once every year or so. And I think since I gave it any deal of scrutiny, there's been massive consolidation in carrier in Hawaii. There used to be all of these little carriers that were intra-island or, you know, even uh, uh, across to the to the mainland, but now they're, they're all gone. So I was kind of bummed that I wasn't going to be... At least even have the opportunity to fly some a new airliner or a new a new aircraft. So yeah, Hawaiian seem to be the only game in town at the moment, other than sort of Southwest on some routes in inter island. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because there's also a, a awesome trend within the islands because um, Southwest is really the second game in town aside from Hawaiian, and Southwest, unlike Hawaiian and almost every other airline, um, doesn't sell flights eleven plus months in advance. They load their schedule in basically up to seven-month chunks. So, if you're looking more than seven months out, you're probably going to see inter-island airfare for $149 one way, let's say, because Hawaiian Airlines has a monopoly at that moment. Mm -hmm. But as soon as Southwest loads its schedule that far out again, like clockwork, Southwest will load like a $59, $69 fare and Hawaiian will match every single time. You know, it's I... And I kind of love Southwest for doing that. But at the same time, it was interesting to see that there was very little difference in fares, even across the Pacific from, from Hawaii to the West Coast. Everybody was within 25 to 50 bucks of each other. And then, of course, you know, you're layering on the ancillaries uh, where, again, Southwest wins because you get your bags for free. But there was not a whole lot of movement there, which suggests to me, uh, with my very amateur viewpoint that there was a reasonable amount of capacity uh available if no one is really going large on 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 price differentiation were you flying with to hawaii like on the way i know from from hawaii to california who are you flying with from hawaii to california southwest oh there you go yeah and again southwest alaska united uh they were all within 50 bucks of each other um, and I picked Southwest, like I said, for the bags and also just the, the timing worked out. I got a little bit longer, uh, in Hawaii with that, with that schedule. But other than that, very little in, you know, this kind of goes down to the whole thing, Paul and I, you've been, t we've been talking about for the last six months, like Alaska are now one world partner, uh, one world member. So I could have, you know, parlayed my meager silver status on BA into something, but it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it in the end. It wasn't worth kind of faffing around and going to the wrong airport and at the wrong time and all of that. So because all of the prices across all the carriers were within a few bucks of each other in the big scheme of things. And so many people have lost their sta status. I think I read a number uh, the other day, I think in the US is across everything. So that includes, I think, hotels. And uh, there might be some people counted twice if they were on multiple programs. But I think it was 25 million people Something like that lost status. It doesn't mean they lost entirely the status. It might have been downgraded. A but that's a new game from some airlines because uh, I am. 
I'm still, I'm just at the fence, you know, I'm like, I'm, I've let go, but not still, because of course, BA renewed me and Emirates renewed me for gold twice. And like, yeah, Alex is shaking his head because he hasn't been renewed on BA. For some reason, I was, I was not getting the points. They renewed me, a, a, you know, as a gift for me. But the, the point is, if you haven't, or, and even if I have some of the trips I'm, I'm getting to taking later this year, to, including to the US and within the US, actually, I might actually fly Delta in the US. Uh, because the leg at some point that was the, a, a good price and I liked the product that they offer. And I said, you know, do I really want to go American just because I'm on Wide World? I'm not sure. So does that does that matter, you think, in the pricing of, of flights, Kyle? Yes and no. Um, it, it moves the needle uh, in all the wrong ways for most people, right? Um, you know, that hamster wheel that we're all on, and I'm on it too, so I can't speak all high and mighty about it. Um, but you know, it leads people to make some really poor decisions about yeah. what they want to do in the name of, you know, in many times really questionable benefits. We have made plenty with Alex because of that. No, <laughs> we've all, we've all done it right. You know, we've, we've all done that stupid mileage run at the end of the year because we needed another 3000 miles to hit that next tier or requalify. And then we forget about the fact that throughout the course of the following year, we really didn't get anything out of that, you know, extra however many dollars we spent in order to do that or that however many dollars we spent throughout the course of the entire year prior just to get within striking distance. But then we keep doing it because we tell ourselves it's really fun and worth it and cool. I think I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of uh, Stockholm syndrome that, you know, that phrase again with 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 these systems. And it took it took me really can you know sitting down with myself and going now look is it worth getting punched in the face by ba on a regular basis to you know to then have the privilege of getting punched in the face by ba next year <laughs> and i i don't think i was going to realize what i was losing or maybe gaining until i lost the status and it's been really interesting to go through the same experience airport experience flight experience that i've been doing for years and years and years but one status down um and on monday it will be my first time uh with check bags and kids in tow so that's going to be interesting as well but so far i haven't had a sense of, of of regret at all and it's allowed me to experience some of these other airlines that i had intellectually known were a better choice <laughs> for a particular <laughs> flight but my quote-unquote loyalty to ba or or one world at least has has prevented me from experiencing to the fullest i think that's an experience that a lot of people need and because the answer may well be for paul that getting you know bumped down to that lower level is just not acceptable that the the benefits are worth the cost I'm that precious, of course. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're not going to punch you in the face, Paul. They punch Alex in the face. Mm -hmm. Regularly. But you need to, I think people need to give them a chance to, to see what they're losing before they can actually do the real mental inventory to decide whether it's worth doing it, doing it again, stretching the next year in order to hit that tier of status again. Um, the airlines are too good at keeping people on the hamster on the hamster wheel um, and spending money that maybe they shouldn't be. Yeah, it's 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 funny because just before and we've been talking about that in this podcast in 2019, 
a lot of the airlines, including Delta, were talking about oh, it's the end of the alliances. We don't need alliances anymore because our you know our customers are so loyal to us anyway. And then of course, boom, bada boom, uh, COVID happens, and now the alliances actually still become again very re relevant, especially uh, of course for international travel because that's how you're going to keep them. Uh, has Delta changed its stance on, on that? or Yes and no. Um, you know, I think Delta is a little bit different because they're, they're certainly not um, the only airline that is pursuing both joint ventures and also, um, you know, taking minority stakes in their joint venture partner airlines. But they have done a lot more of that than I think any other, you know, major global airline, which at the start of the pandemic looked like the worst gamble of all time because all of a sudden they've sunk costs not only into their own airline, but about five others, that money that they were not going to get back. Um, but now, uh, you know, looking back, you know, more than three years at this point, I think that it's probably going to wind up being a pretty shrewd investment because yeah. they get to call the shots with LATAM and with Air France KLM, with Korean Air, Uh, with Virgin Atlantic um, in terms of, you know, where those airlines fly and how they can help each other in a way that you can't really even do to the same extent with a joint venture, let alone in, as part of, you know, the Sky Team Alliance. Yeah. So, I, in, in a way, I think, you know, the alliance for, for Delta in particular just plays a much smaller role than those big investments that they've made in those other, you know, airlines across the country. You could actually compare that to Qatar because Qatar Airways, with probably, of course, a, a, another big purse, they, that's what they, I mean, they're investing in Africa, they're investing in India, they're investing in Heathrow, they're investing, they, they own one world in a way. <laughs> so they can, they can manipulate, I don't want to sound, that's not the right word because that sounds like a, a cunning plan, but they can manipulate the alliance towards their own goals. So yeah, similar, yeah. But what's your view? Because you put out... Um, a tweet that I, 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 I loved, it was a few months ago, you said something, there's, there's a reason, I'll start with that, there's a reason on this podcast we don't talk about miles a lot. First, because it's not as, as attractive in Europe that it is in the US, I'll talk about that maybe a bit uh, further down this show, but because it sounds, and you use that word, I'm going to quote you because I found a tweet again for this podcast, you said, Oh no. Most conversations that start with that don't go well. I found, I found <laughs> I, that tweet of yours. I dug this up. Yeah. Hope you weren't planning on running for Congress. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's a good one. I loved it. No, not knowing you, when I read that, I finally someone says it. I honestly think most points and miles sites and social media accounts come across as hawking an MLM multi-level marketing scam to most people. And honestly, sometimes it's true. I, 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 I'm an old-fashioned guy, so I, I follow a lot of, of blogs via RSS. And I had to unfollow some of these blogs mm -hmm. because it felt that the whole time they were not talking about the review or the quality of the seat or whether it was a fun trip, but they were just trying to tell me that I need to go there because they had, of course, affiliate marketing links first and then also wanted to get yeah. more miles from themselves. It felt, and it's, if you are like a, a normal traveler, for someone who doesn't know, understand how miles work, it feels exactly like that, an MLM to, to me. <laughs> not the miles program, I'm talking about the way all the ancillaries of the, the ecosystem, if you want, the people that try to tell you how to use them sound. And I think Alex agrees. 100%. There's, there's just a really perverse incentive system, um, which I think is, is probably at the core of this. And look, like, I'm not innocent in this. Thrifty Traveler writes about, you know, points and miles and 
earning miles through credit cards and has affiliate links to earn money when people apply for those, I'm a part of the problem too. So, let me be clear that I'm not wholly innocent in this. Um, but, you know, that, that financial incentive is a huge piece of it. Um, and in convincing people that this is worth caring about and you should open credit card X, Y, and Z has a direct financial through line to, to everybody that's writing about these things. Um, you know, th the issue for me is that if you're trying to connect with new people to show them that these things are worth caring about, then you need to speak to them in a way that connects with where they're at, which is not, I know how to utilize 12 different airline mileage programs to book a flight from Minneapolis to London at the cheapest possible rate flying business right? class. It's, <laughs> I have 10,000 Delta Sky miles and I don't know what to do with them. You know, that's where kind of the core consumer for most sites, and honestly, including my own, is at. So, how do, you, how do you connect with people in a way and be honest with them about what's realistic and get them, if your goal is to show them how to do these things that you say are so cool and you're making money on because people are applying for credit cards, how do you make that a reality for them and help them understand how it is, in fact, possible? And if that's not your goal, then what are we doing here? You know, mm -hmm. the, 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 point, the, the point when you write about these things with anything, you know, if you're on a podcast, if you're writing a website about travel, whatever, is, is to educate people. And if you're doing it in the vein of travel, it's to help people travel more for less and maybe travel more comfortably for less. But there's a big gap in knowledge between the, most of the people who are writing about it and their readership. Mm -hmm. That is... a honestly, I think a huge opportunity to help more people. I think that's, that's fantastic. I think the way that you frame that is exactly the kind of thing. Cause I mean, being completely honest, it's not a world I fully understand at all. It's, it's, it's complicated. And I think it's also obfuscated by that layer of content creators that Paul was alluding to. So you just get this fog of shilling that obscures the value that you're describing. And it's interesting because I've seen a lot of questions posed exactly how you phrased it, which is especially around the Amex points. You know, I've got this many and what should I do with them? And you get all these great answers and they're not like, they're not, they're, they're contextualizing it like this. Let me explain to you why this is valuable in terms of either hard dollars or in how, how much it would cost to acquire the same experience with cash. And to me, for, for someone like me who, who doesn't know, you know, is a hundred thousand, you know, Delta miles or United or whatever, is that a lot or a little? I don't know. But if you're, if you're giving me a frame of reference exactly like you described, I can immediately see, oh, wait, this is why I should be doing that. This is why I should care as opposed to just banking them and watching them expire and probably pissing them away inefficiently on an upgrade or a redemption that I could have done in a much more efficient manner. So it uh, that's a really interesting insight. And you know the the other piece of this that that's on the one hand really really frustrating to me and on the other that I'm really proud of the way that that we go about things on our site is that people talk about credit and credit cards like it's a plaything. Mm. Oh yeah. Credit card debt literally ruins lives. Credit card debt is, you know, arguably the single biggest financial problem in the United States. And, you know, the same could probably be said of many countries around the world. 
Um, so every time we write about, you know, the new biggest bonus on a, on a credit card that will earn you those 100,000 Amex points, Alex, we say something along the lines of credit cards are serious business and that you cannot and should not open a credit card and make charges in the name of earning points if you cannot afford to pay off every single cent in full on time every month. Because whatever you are earning in points is going to be drastically outweighed by whatever interest you're going to pay on those mounting credit card bills. That is not enough. Um, There's a lot more to be done in terms of, again, meeting people where they're at, which increasingly for a lot of uh, you know, travel sites and especially social media influencers is people who are really young and might be looking to get their first ever credit card. Um, but at least it's something. Yeah. I will do a parenthesis. Um, I'm going to try to be short because I think this is something that many people do not understand why there's such a difference between the US and other markets um, is, uh, is, is the fees, basically. So when you when you get a credit card, you get it from a card scheme, so it could be. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, I might do some shortcuts to go faster because otherwise we'll go forever. So the card, the card scheme, Visa, um, American Express, Mastercard, etc. And then when you pay for something at a point of sale, so you know the little machines in the U.S., you still have to put your signature or <laughs> or Apple Pay, whichever. Uh, then the bank of that business. You know, so there's a fee between the point of sale to the bank of that business. There's a further fee between the the bank of that business and the the card scheme, and then of course there's another between the card scheme and the bank that issued the card, right? Uh, and 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 the last one is what is called inter interchange fees. They are uh, in the EU. They are actually by law. They are locked at, if I remember correctly, zero point five or zero point four for credit cards and zero point two or something like that for for debit cards. In the US, it's one of the highest in the world. We go like two and up, depending. You know, you have these vanity cards that are like super expensive. Uh, of course, and that's simply that's money because that's where the, all these cards and the the the, the 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 visas, the Mastercards, the American Express, the Chase, all these guys can play with because the more fee you've got, the more you can create marketing schemes around you know points and rewards and um, affiliates and affiliations with other partners and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Which because by law to protect the consumer, it's not possible in Europe and in many other countries uh, is why there's less to play with and also why for us it's less interesting to simply do it. Not that it's not, because Alex mentioned we. I also have an American Express. I also have reward points that I can use. I'm not saying they don't exist, but it's it's very very big in the U.S. and probably also the culture of credit cards in the U.S., where it's easier to get like five credit cards, whereas in Europe, you know, if you try to get two or three at some point, you know, you, you get uh, you get a, a hit on your credit score, or you will be limited by by uh, issuing banks to do so. The U.K. Now that I need to mention, the U.K. has left, of course, the EU. So it's not part of that this law anymore. So it will, I think, or it has already, I'm not sure, see how much I know, uh, raise that uh, interchange fee to 1.3, if my memory is correct, which means maybe in the UK we'll have a little bit more to play if that's something that you want to do and and have a little bit more rewards with with credit cards. And, and, and final point, 
because I've lived in Japan. Japan has very, very high fees. However, Japan is a very, very different market in terms of dynamics. Uh, the reason being people were very resistant to credit cards. They're very hard to acquire. I mean, they were very hard to acquire. And most people got used to loyalty cards. I mean, if you've ever been to Japan, you, every Yodobashi, Yodobashi camera, you get your points. You, literally, uh, our hotel, you get your points. You always get points. And people have gotten used to use points because also businesses can then retain the customers only for them. They don't have to share it with a credit card system. So even though Japan has also very high interchange fees, they do not have the same play, because you use the term play, with credit cards and rewards, including uh, Aramis. I think that's a very important distinction. This is why the US and probably Canada, I guess, probably is the same than the US, because I, I want to put them together, have all these websites, all these ecosystem about people talking about it because the, the, the ability to do so, and probably if I were living in the US, if and Alex was living in the US, I would use that more to my benefit. But to your final point, I think the most important thing is that, like you say, these cards and the fact that the fees are high and they're getting higher on these, again, I call them vanity cards, but they're, you know, meaning like these very exclusive cards. Uh, it's, a, it's a toll on the lower uh, end of consumers. So people who don't, uh, earn that much money, uh, the poorest of the people that have to use credit cards because often that's how they fund their daily life. We're not, not talking about their travel here. Of course, they have to pay these higher fees. Uh, so I've I had heard that the US wanted to stop this increase. They wanted to also cap these fees. Of course, there's probably massive resistance from a lot of players and a massive lobbying in Congress to avoid that. But meaning that's why, and I think I've, I've done enough of that, that's why we don't have the same play. Um, and I, here it's, it's a bad word, the same play with credit cards that you guys do. Yeah, I, I think you spelled it out well. And I would also just add that, you know, that's also the reason why, at least traditionally, Amex isn't accepted as widely as as Visa yep. and MasterCard and other, you know, the, the big credit card companies because those interchange fees, traditionally anyway, for American Express were quite a bit higher than some of the other credit card issuing companies. So, retailers just didn't want to pay to accept them. So, no Amex allowed. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think Visa and MasterCard in the US account for 75% of the market. Even though on websites for our travel, we keep hearing about Chase, Sapphire, I mean, stuff that doesn't exist here. Chase does exist in, in, in the UK, but not the cards you have. So, because these cards yield way more in terms of fees, thus yields way more in terms of reward, thus you can have access and have these joining bonuses. Like sometimes for me, I'm eye watering. I'm like, what? I can get like 150,000 just by joining a credit card scheme if I can. My Amex Plat, I might have gotten what? Well, how much did you get, Alex, when you joined Amex? You remember? Uh, it's like maybe forty thousand. That's like a hundred thousand. Oh my God! I didn't have that. My, I was. I didn't sign up at the right moment. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, to Kyle's point, there was a a spend threshold that had to be achieved in a certain yeah. period of time, which. You know, I had I had signed up for the card knowing that I would have hit that anyway because of the way that I I use. Um, it was actually it's a charge card, um, but I did the math and I worked out like you know okay well that I'm going to be doing that anyway so this sounds great but I think it's um it's all it's borderline predatory in the way that they're dangled in front of you like. You know, and I think if you if you match that with this is what you could get for that amount of miles, it, it becomes it becomes worrisome. Yeah, and I think uh, and that's why as well we've talked about that, and maybe that's uh, we can move on with that. Um, the the loyalty programs for airline are so valuable in the U.S. Like sometimes they even 
they are more valuable on the airline itself, right? And during COVID, since you mentioned COVID and, and, and um, uh, Delta strategy, I remember that United actually used its loyalty program to go in debt, so basically to acquire debt to save the airline. Uh, I think they went on a loan of five, six billion dollars of loan by putting the loyalty program as collateral. Mm-hmm. AAG, so BA, Iberia, et cetera, did the same in, in, in Europe, but for a much, much, much smaller uh, account, uh, amount, sorry, probably half a million or something, uh, no, half a million, half a billion, so 500 million, which is already big, right? Which also kind of helped save the company, but which shows even though IAG's loyalty program is highly valued, it's nowhere as near the value of the programs in the US, which, which, which are, crazy um there was even a like rumor at some point that airline wanted wanted to spin them out but in my in my head i'm like okay if you spin them out then what about the airline how do you make money <laughs> they're the the economic engine of these airlines i think in particular in the united states um yeah some of these airlines would be would be in the red every single year if not for these frequent flyer programs because they're um, you know, in particular, their relationship with, with the credit card issuing banks. So, you know, Delta partners with American Express. Delta sells a boatload of miles to American Express every year, which they take and package into those big eye-popping, you know, 100,000 sky mile bonuses a couple of times a year to convince people to join American Express. They, you know, those Delta flyers are swiping those Delta credit cards. And then every year, like clockwork, you know, American Express hands over six plus billion dollars to delta um in exchange for that relationship and you know delta is not making uh you know a six billion dollar profit every year they certainly won't this year probably not even close um and you know that same trend plays out with with all of the major carriers here in the united states they just they have become banks that happen to own planes also and and fly a lot of people every single day it's interesting because you can think of them you know in a slightly trivial manner that they're just this made up currency that there are points and they're meaningless and they have no value. But if you think about the earned, the earned points or miles or whatever you want to call them are a liability on an airline's balance sheet. They are, they're outstanding value that the airline does not have control over until they're redeemed. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. The revenue gets deferred until the point is yeah. redeemed. So it's, it's it's that's that's why IAG I think went it was American Express they they went and said we're going to do a deal for I think it was five hundred million but I, I could be wrong because that certainly saved the balance sheet. Yeah, <laughs> it's really a world of it. So this is why we I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit today because you we have someone who knows about this understands this uh, because otherwise it can be a bit dry to talk about it. But it's, it's quite staggering to think about the, the the economics, especially compared to how much money sometimes the airline without the loyalty program does. <laughs> it's just a- well, and you know the the funny thing is is that we're all kind of paying the price now. Um, so yeah. you know you don't need to go back too far in the headlines of you know sites like ours to see words devaluation. Um, mm. United has done it. Delta, it's just a given now. Um, Emirates, I mean, you, you go, go across the line, you know, all of these frequent flyer programs are retooling their award charts and raising award rates for just how many miles you need to book. Basically, any flight from anywhere point A to point Z. Um, and, and a big piece of that is exactly what Alex mentioned, which is that these are liabilities on their balance sheets, those unused miles. And those balances have grown a lot in the last three years. 
for two reasons. One is that um, even though people weren't redeeming miles, people were still swiping those credit cards yeah. to earn more miles. So the balances just kept growing. But the bigger piece of it is, is that all of these banks, you know, for the last, most of the last three years, in order to lure in new customers who otherwise weren't interested in travel because travel didn't really seem possible, the only way to do that was to go even bigger. So, you know, what used to be a 60,000 point bonus on the American Express Platinum card, which is what I got it at in 2018, which I look like an idiot now because 150,000 is like the minimum now. So it's more than doubled. And, you know, that, that same trend really does, with few exceptions, play out, you know, any airline, any bank that we're talking about. I mean, they set new records during the pandemic for just how much they were giving away. But then at some point, the bill comes due. You know, mm -hmm. there's just too much of that currency floating around somewhere. And there's only one thing to do. It's inflation for airline points. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't, I hadn't realized that that was the, 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 the cause. I hadn't realized, I hadn't realized, because again, like we don't, Paul and I don't look at the U.S. market with, obviously with, with the level of scrutiny that you do, but even, you know, maybe every six months we look at it and go, oh, we've, you know, the blogosphere is blowing up because, you know, American have devalued their points. And so we go and look at it, but it, I did, I had not realized that, that it was orders of magnitude and devaluation uh, over the last few years. How do you feel about the devaluation of SkyMars then, Kyle? Come on. <laughs> You know, <laughs> since you're a Delta fan, so how did you feel when it was announced? Did you did you get into uh, withdrawal symptoms? Like, oh my God, what did I do? I should have spent them before. This is a four hour long podcast, right? So I've got plenty of time. <laughs> no, look, I mean, you know, Delta, Delta in particular, the writing has been on the wall forever that there's nowhere to go but down. So I think, um, you know, for people like me, and let's be clear, I'm not a normal person. Like I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about and especially writing about these things. You know, there are choices that you can make um, to protect yourself from the inevitable, which is, you know, don't focus on earning Delta Sky Miles. You still fly that airline because first and foremost, it's really my only option most of the time. Um, but also because they're a good airline. Um, and, you know, I think especially in the case of Delta, you fly Delta because you want to, not because you're earning those points to use later. That's just a bonus that you may or may not put to use later. Yeah, that's a good way of seeing it, actually. I fully agree. But a lot of people don't make that connection. You know, uh, you know for, for most people, again, uh, it goes back to meeting people where they're at and where their level of understanding is as they come to you, whether you're talking to them or, you know, they're reading your words. And for most people, that point is, I want to fly Delta, so therefore I earn Delta Sky Miles. Or I want to fly American, therefore I earn American Advantage Miles. And so kind of leading people through this needlessly complicated web of, you know, how you redeem miles for the most value and the choices that you can make to earn points that will serve you better, even if your goal is exactly the same in order to fly Delta. That is a, a difficult one for a lot of people. Um, you know, you can't really tell people stop earning Delta Sky Miles because the immediate thing is, well, I only fly Delta. But just letting people know that there, there might be a better way or that, you know, their own best interest might be better served by just not worrying about it. 
you know, just taking the best deal wherever you can and whatever you get from it in, in points down the road is just a bonus. It's a good way of thinking about it. I should have talked to you like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so is the implication then that uh, if you're accruing miles through credit, a credit card, then a plan like Amex might actually be the best option because then you can transfer them to the various programs as and when those deals, quote unquote deals, become available. And the frankly, the Intel is much more valuable to you than at that, at that point, right? Because you are not just looking for a specific carrier's redemption off deals that, you know, you, you guys would highlight, but across the spectrum. Exactly. I mean, it, it really is as simple as don't put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> um, and the problem is, is that most people just care about one basket. Mm -hmm. um, so showing people that there are a couple of different baskets and there are a couple of different ways to earn eggs and then you get to pick and choose which ones you put them in when the time is right. Exactly. As you said, when the deal comes up, when Delta decides, you know what, we're done charging 500,000 miles for a business class seat to London. We'll do it for 120,000 miles. 500,000. That's pretty, that's pretty normal. It's, uh. It's a, yeah, it's but then again, you know, the, the miles, the points don't mean anything because each program has its own scale. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose that at that point, then, the hard part becomes decoupling points with status. Because your, your loyalty is going to earn you status, which, which was going to get you some bonuses or some benefits, maybe one of which is faster accrual of those miles, those multipliers that a lot of the airlines. So I guess it's then a kind of, it's a cognitive exercise to decouple earning and status. And can you, can you even do that? I, I think maybe you can, maybe there's, you know, you're earning status if you fly enough on multiple airlines, as long as you're not thinking too much about where that status is coming from. We're, we're coming full circle here to just how successful airlines are at keeping people on the hamster wheel which just absolutely removes the ability for a lot of people, understandably, to think critically about something like opportunity cost, which is, yeah. let's just say you've, you're going to spend $25,000. Should you spend that all with Delta? Um, you know, spend it on your Delta credit card. That helps you earn the status that you love and that you believe that you absolutely need. But what's the opportunity cost of that $25,000 when that could be spent, again, on, you know, a credit card that earns flexible points, which might not earn you, you know, that Delta status that you know and love and feels comfortable like a blanket. But, you know, that same amount of, <laughs> of spend on a different credit card could help you get the things that you actually care about more when you think about it, which is, you know, a more reasonable flight that you can book using points that you earn more of even faster if you just forget a little bit about Delta. <laughs> I love that you mentioned Delta only. I, I'd rather forget about United. Uh, no, no, no. Have you flown United in the past week? No, you couldn't anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Now, we have the, you, you know what? We have the unions of, uh, I think it's f f cabins, the, the, the crews listening to this podcast. So every time I do a little jab, I need to apologize to them. <laughs> Send a proactive message. Sorry. Trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that it's a very good way to put it. I mean, it's true that I'm starting to realize that uh, actually I was traveling very well with that status more than 15 years ago. And 
I got into the, how you call it, the hamster wheel, like, you know, believing strongly like a god that I absolutely need the gold or the platinum or whatever, because if I don't, I'm not an important person or I might lose something. And actually, you don't really lose a lot, which I should have realized when, especially short haul, when I fly in Europe, it's EasyJet. It's basically the same experience. And I can also get a fast track. Most now airports, you can even buy it. Uh, which always say to me is fast track first and um, in lounges, eh, I mean, it's nice to have, but fast track and faster boarding is always what I want. And actually, <laughs> you can get it other, in other ways, but in your head, maybe airlines have been so good at putting in your head that it's absolutely, you need to do that. Though though in the US, maybe you have 35 groups in ahead of you anyway. So do, do you think, by the way, these, these groups think, because a lot of it is due to credit cards and trying to segment even more people in groups, do you think that is a trend that will go on or at some point airlines will have to say, look, we cannot have like 85 groups trying to board uh, just because it becomes too complex and too a hassle for the ground staff to actually do? I, I don't know that there's a way to put the genie back in the bottle. Um, you know, I think a lot of the things that we're talking about is, is really structured around in some way eliminating decision making for why people are doing the things that they're doing. And turning it into an impulse or um, a reflex. And all of these things add up. You know, the, the earlier boarding group, um, the fast track, uh, the miles, the very occasional upgrade, um, you name it. All of these very, things. Very, occasional. Right. All of, these, all of these things add up to a point where people don't do that critical decision making. Um, and evaluation. So I would be really, really interested to hear from Alex in a couple of months, especially after his trip through the States about what that looks like, because I think that's what you need in order to do it, which is that, um, you know, that period in the wilderness where you don't have that same level of status to, to really think about what it, what it means to go without it. Yeah. I, I, I'm also interested to see how I feel uh, <laughs> because the, as I've gone through and, and I've really only done short haul since I lost status with BA, I can't see where I'm missing out at the moment. And I think in many instances, it boils down to exactly what Paul said. It's the fast track boarding uh, in many, and, and that's all. I only care about that if I've got an overhead, uh, a, a bag that needs to go in the overhead. Although other than that, I don't care. Yeah, and for short haul, actually, because long haul, you know, you're going to have a bag on the overhead. Usually there's enough room. It's usually the short haul. Yeah. So long haul, I don't. A321s and minus. Yeah. I mean, my, the Amex gets you access to lounges um, and they may not be as good or they may be exponentially better than what the airline is offering. It depends on the, on the airline and the airport, but it will be interesting to fly on my, I mean, my entire trip. I'm doing five or six, seven flights and I don't, I only have, status on one of the flights the rest i am freeballing it as they say so it'll be very interesting to see <laughs> they don't say that you guys tune in in uh, one of the next podcasts it will be probably in august with uh, alex will talk for two hours yeah about every single thing he's done i from the us to japan and back in hawaii and everything and i know the route i know the airlines wow there's a lot of interesting stuff coming up but it's true uh carl i think it's very emotional at the end of the day. Loyalty is emotional, but it's very emotional. Uh, and you mentioned, um, we love these, uh, you know, occasional, very occasional upgrades. I think Emirates is a very, is a very good example with me. Uh, I, I was upgraded a lot 
in the beginning, we're talking like a long time ago, and I was not living in London, which meant that for that market, departing market, I was more important as a customer than I am in London in the middle of the pack. But I, even saying that, I'm already post-rationalizing their decision-making because they already, by the time I had moved to London, I was already gold. So I was already bought in, and you can feel that there's a lag between the reality. I mean, Emirates is still very good, but the reality of having had upgrades and having had these little carrots in front of you that they haven't really done in the past 10 years, but I'm still with Emirates and still like flying with them, but I still kind of carry with me the, you know, it's like a, it's like a, an X and you always only remember the good times and not, and I'm not comparing Emirates to an X and really <laughs> this very bad analogy, but you know what I mean? We tend to idealize our emotions and we want to probably bury some of them that hurt again. Emirates didn't hurt me, nor an ex, by the way. I want to make that clear on the podcast on the record. But, you know, so I think it's very emotional. And I think, and airlines know that, like in every brand, you know, they, they, they know that every brand, like uh, Apple knows that as well, you know, other uh, powerful brand understand it. But travel, because travel is emotional already, because you're going somewhere on a journey. Uh, I mean, of course, it can be business as well, but you, you, it, it plays a lot in, in, into that. But don't you think that the fact that so many people are losing their status, again, 20 plus million US, a shit ton as well in, in the UK, in Europe, and probably in Asia as well. I haven't looked at numbers in probably airlines. I mean, AAG on their latest report for the first time did uh, um, put the loyalty as a separate entity so you could see some of the numbers and they clearly lost uh, people, basically they lost Alex, right? <laughs> people that got downgraded. Don't you think that this is this allow, allows for a little bit of a reset? Not for everyone, but some people might just take the opportunity to try other stuff. I, I hope it does. You know, and, you know, there may be a, a lot of people out there, including, you know, your listeners who come to the same conclusion that, no, it is worth working for, that the the benefit is worth the work and I'm going to do it again the next time I get the chance to. And that's great. You know, the, this is not saying that nobody should earn status and status is all garbage for every person at every time. No, 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 of course not. It's, you got to do the math. I mean, that's what how we could we could talk about this stuff for hours and almost every single answer the only capital t true thing that i could say is you just need to do the math um it's booking flights using points booking packaged vacation deals where your hotel and airfare is bundled together you got to do the math that that's it but the same is true of status and you know like we've been talking about the the ability that uh that these airlines have to kind of take hold emotionally over our decision making and force us in a weird perverse way that we don't do with many other things aside from maybe an ex or or a current spouse to make justifications and excuses and see things in the best possible light of oh well maybe next year i'll get a lot more upgrades because those 20 million people are losing their status that might be true but you got to do the math. Yeah, BA never upgraded me. So see, that's I don't even have the... Are you a, are you more the hoarder type or the user meaning, meaning do you keep your miles for like a big trip you're really looking forward to? Like, I don't know. I've read, I think it was somewhere on your on your Twitter. I think you're going to a big trip uh, down under next year. I think Australia and New Zealand, I think is, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that so? Do, do you like lock in and say, look, I'm going to get miles and I'm going to get organize in a way to being able to have a fun trip far maybe in comfortable way as well or are you more like 
all the time, oh, this little, little flight, I could get more comfortable, I could get for free, et cetera, et cetera. What, what types are you? What type are you? You know, a little bit of both. I mean, the, the biggest thing is just they're not an investment. So, whether you use it for that little thing or a big thing, you just have to use them because you know, we've talked about all of the devaluations that have happened. It's constant. It's not going to stop. So, that means these things are not getting more valuable. Um, you know, that said, you know, my wife and I tend to plan two, if not three, really big trips a year. So, it's not like I feel that pressure to constantly use them for that little thing because odds are, um, you know, there's going to be that big thing like going to Australia and New Zealand next year um, to put them towards. So, you know, and then you just, you get to a point where you know what your travel goals are, you know what, um, you know, points or the amount of cash that you need in order to meet them are. Um, and then it just kind of becomes a constant cycle of, of being able to, to do what you want for less or, or do it more comfortably for less. Um, that's, that's the fun part. So are you going to Australia? Which airline are you using? Um, so we are flying. We're actually making a, a stopover in uh, Tahiti first. So we're going to go to Bora Bora for uh, four nights. Nice. Um, so flying nice. Air Tahiti Nui there. Um, and then onward to Auckland. Um, got a lot of, lot of additional smaller pieces to fit into that puzzle. Um, but then flying Delta one back from Sydney to LA. Nice. Oh, that's a long one. So what's your process then? Like, how, how do you go? Like if, if you've said, okay, we're going to go and do this big trip and we've got a destination in mind, what is your process for, and forgive me, Paul, if you were going to get to this eventually, but, um, I'm just interested, like, how do you, how do you look at a, at a redemption chart and go, that's good value. That's not good value. Are you basing your destination choice on point redemption value or are you doing it the other way around? And before you answer for context, Alex has been organizing a summer trip for the past four months. Dude, I think his brain is full of having, trying to find I'm so done with it. (laughs) That's why he's asking you. I'm sure I've done it wrong too. You know, that's a tough one. Um, Typically, uh, what what I what I tell a lot of people, and honestly, what still you know basically holds true for me to this day is to set a goal and work backwards. So the goal at its broadest point is Australia. It's something that my my wife and I have been talking about for years. Uh, part of that goal, you know, to kind of niche down is to you know do it comfortably. So flying Delta One, let's just say. And then to niche down again, working backward from the goal is to figure out the best way to make that happen for the least amount of points possible, which is the tough part. Like I could sit here and tell you about, you know, you know, probably four or five different ways to book that flight. Um, I would also need to go look at my own website at things I may have written as recently as two months ago because I've forgotten them. Um, (laughs) but, But a lot of it really just comes down to knowing what you want to do and then knowing the right questions to ask either of yourself or other resources to be able to figure out how to make that a reality. Um, but it, you know, for me, it really always starts with the destination because look, I will probably talk a lot about like some of the coolest flights we've taken later in this podcast. And that is great. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not above being really snobby and doing cool things and thinking that it's really sweet. But at the end of the day, the point is not just to sit in an airplane seat for 15 hours, right? Yeah, no, you're right. It's to go do new things. 
I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> All right. So that's a piece of it. I will grant you that. But no, fair, fair. It's, a, it's still a means to an end. And, and the end goal is, you know, to be in Australia, a country that my wife and I have never been to. Um, you know, same goes for New Zealand. Um, and to do cool new things and see new places and meet new people and talk with them and learn about each other and ourselves. And... The the best part is is that you know being able to do that in a really cool live flat business seat is very cool on its own, but then also makes the rest of that process a little bit easier too. I will just point out I'm not going to spoil it. Like I'll tell you after we end the podcast that even though Alex just quipped that it's part of the deal, the way he's going to go to Japan is interesting. I'm just going to say that guys is going to be for you in the next podcast, and I will learn which airline is using at the end of the show. <laughs> So keep the suspense. <laughs> so, um, but maybe because you mentioned Delta One and you've mentioned, I mean, you're, you're okay with Stockholm Syndrome, but it's not really bad to be Delta. Tell, tell us what you love about Delta because we have a lot of Delta fans. Every time I criticize or Alex criticizes Delta, which we don't really do because we don't really travel with them. I used to be a Sky Team Platinum, but that's a long time ago now. So I used to travel with them in Asia and the US a lot, not anymore. Why does it stand out? Or maybe you're going to tell me they don't. <laughs> Why does it stand out for you? You know, it, in some ways it doesn't. Air travel is so commoditized now. Um, in a good way, almost. Because, you know, like, Paul, you talked about flying EasyJet and having a very similar experience to BA. You know, that that is not uncommon here in the States either. So, I don't want to pretend like you know, Delta is the gold standard and every other airline is shit because that's not, that's not true. <laughs> you that's, could say that. that's not the, that's not really the way the airline industry works. That said, they, they're, it's a better experience. Um, you know, chiefly because absent, you know, a couple of hiccups over the last few years, which we've seen with every airline, you get to where you need to go on time. Delta's reliability is, you know, far and away better than, um, you know, every other airline except for Hawaiian, which, you know, being based in Honolulu, you don't really need to worry about weather all that much. Um, they're, they pad their schedule so much. So adding so much buffer, um, you know, in the flight time and in turnaround times that they can, they pack so much wiggle room into their schedules that even when things start to go wrong, I mean, I was on a, on a Delta flight recently where we took off probably 75 minutes late and still landed on time. Wow. Um, that's, that's a choice that airlines make. Yeah, but that, was that for a short haul? No. Short haul. What? They padded 75 minutes. Holy God. And still, okay. still landed on time. It might have been within the 15-minute buffer that, you know, the Department of Transportation says still qualifies as on time. But it was kind of astounding and just reminded me that that's a choice that some airlines make and others don't because it's expensive to build that much time into your schedules to make sure that you can get people yeah. on the ground on time. Um, for a layover, I would say, sorry to interrupt, for a layover, that's very valuable because mm -hmm. you know you're going to actually grab the next, if you, for a short layover, obviously, because many, many times, and especially building the trips post-COVID with all the mess that is happening and still happening, I'm building way more time than I used to because I don't trust what they're telling me on the, on the freaking website. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, that gives you so much confidence, especially 
you're building in a layover before flying overseas where, you know, if you're not booked on the same ticket, you you know, you booked a a BA flight and then, you know, something else uh, separately. If, if your airline doesn't get you to where you need to go, you're, you're not going overseas. You're just staying home. Alex, Alex is one of those coming up. Uh, we'll see. I have too many of those coming up. Unprotected <laughs> layovers internationally. Uh, yeah. You know. You'll be fine. I'll Alex. be fine, <laughs> he says. Worst case, you're stuck in Japan, which there can be. I know. I'm like, that's I'm the worst places to be stuck. Yeah. Just another trip to Lawson. That's fine. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. For the for the sandwich for the, the <laughs> egg sandwich uh, absolutely have have you flown there there are two twenty one yes uh, uh, sorry two twenty two twenty two twenty one is the one they want to call the five hundred which doesn't exist guys I'm going ahead in the podcast is going to be, we're going to talk about it in three years the two twenty have you, have you flown have you flown it I have yeah they they have the two twenty one hundred and then the two twenty three hundred which currently is is the stretch slightly longer version um, and it's it's great I mean the the two seat um, on the on the right side, I guess as you're walking down, um, it's so nice. It's so quiet. I mean, it's it's not an A380 quiet, but it's pretty darn close. Um, certainly, a lot better than you know some of the regional jets that you're more likely to fly, especially with other airlines here in the states. There's more and more of them coming into the fleet. So you know, a couple of years ago, you had to get really really lucky to get on a 220. Um, with Delta and now, you know, depending on which hub you're flying from, you've got a pretty darn good shot, you know, maybe, maybe a coin flip at this point. And then, you know, that lavatory at the back with the window, it shouldn't be important, but it's just the coolest thing. No, no, that's a, that's a cool thing. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah. You mentioned two seats in the, I'm like, yeah, we don't have that in Europe. We do. We always have the same version of the economy, but they block you a seat or something, which is, you know. Yeah, um, uh, it's the only airline that has a two twenty, I think, in the U.S. Right? I th- JetBlue, JetBlue has some two twenties now. Alex, you are certainly in the dark. <laughs> just, uh, oh yeah, I have, yeah, of course. Man, they're getting complicated with their fleet. Yeah, well, let's get some spirit into the mix, and you know, yeah, really, exactly. really make things a mess. And, yeah, yeah, decouple an <laughs> NEA. That'll be fun for them. Oh, I forgot. With all that, you, you talked about the fact that the miles are being devalued. So let's just use them. At the same time, the price of flights keep increasing, which if they keep doing so, at some point they will probably level out. But if they keep doing so, it's also harder to get miles because it becomes too expensive to fly. So do you think, how do you see that? Do you, do you, do you see the price of flights keep increasing for another year or two before? And here... We can also maybe it's not putting aside the inflation of everything else. It's also putting the fact that fleets are not fully back in many airlines. They're still putting them back. At some point, they will have to be an inflection point when it happens. But like you said, you said there's no not enough capacity to Europe. Yes, of course, partially due to a lot of people wanting to travel at the same time because they've not been able for three years. But probably at some point, do you hope that they level out soon? Or do you forecast with your, your colleagues, your forecast is it will go on for another two, three years before they do? I'm not asking you for a forecast. It's not the right word for just a thought. Because I don't want to put you in the spot in three years like, hey, you were wrong. You know, I think that's probably a question that airline CEOs are asking Boeing and Airbus. Because that's... That's the piece that's that's really missing here is that aircraft deliveries have slipped so much um, the last couple of years. And, 
you know, development has been so delayed on a bunch of new programs, production flaws. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of moving pieces um, to get this supply and demand balance right. But that's a really, really big one. Like, you know, especially here in the U.S. and I'm sure, you know, overseas with you guys as well. You know, these airlines have been on unprecedented hiring tears. Um, and that is a challenge. Um, training is an even bigger challenge, especially when, you know, you were furloughing 60-year-old employees and you're now trying to hire 20 and 25-year-olds to replace them. Um, but that will, <laughs> knock on wood, fingers crossed, get right over time. And then the question is, are there going to be the airframes to, to help those people meet that demand um, in order to, to right-size the capacity? And that I do not have a crystal ball on. Yeah, you're right. Of course you're right. Of course you're right. There, there's one topic you mentioned you wanted to touch upon a little bit was the... Um, uh, we have in Europe the some protection for passengers. The famous uh, EU, is it 261, Alex? I always forget. Yep. Which gives us some form of compensation. First of all, some direct, maybe vouchers or something if you're stuck on the ground and also some form of compensation if you have, I think the, stra the, the threshold is like three hours late, Alex? Mm -hmm. Three like hours, six yeah. hours late or something. Yeah. And depending on the, the distance as well, right? Uh, that doesn't really exist in the, in the US as in it's the airline's willingness to... <laughs> help you or not and especially to refund you or not that matters which often more than enough is written in the terms of uh, the contracts there has been some recent recent years even before covid but there's always been some rumors about uh members of congress wanting to push some legislation forward do, do you think it's going to happen and do you think it's a good thing if it were to happen uh it should happen i think um I think EU 261 um, is in some ways a bare minimum of setting in, in law what it means to do right by consumers um, and that currently in law in the United States, what it means to do right by consumers is left almost entirely to airlines. Um, and that also means that it's left up to frontline agents who are getting hounded by, you know, probably almost 200 people to figure out if they can get a hotel voucher or a meal voucher. And there's no guaranteed compensation whatsoever um, for some of these problems after the fact. So I really hope something happens. Um, you know, like you said, this conversation has been going on here for many years, if not decades. The last two years, I think, has been, I, I hope, a wake-up call for Americans that it is the Wild West here and that they really have very few, if any, rights when things do go wrong. Um, you know, the, the in, most interesting thing to me is that President Biden here and his administration has said they're going to put forward rules. So skip Congress altogether and just put some of this stuff in law. We don't know what that looks like. The odds that that's going to happen anytime soon, if ever, are frankly pretty slim. Um, it's just a big, big lift. But does the threat of that possibly happening force the airlines to shape up? That's not a long-term solution. Um, but if the airlines feel like that, that that's a possibility that, you know, 
when they delay passengers by three plus hours, they're going to have to fork over $400 or whatever the numbers are. That creates a stronger incentive than currently exists because there is no incentive other than protecting the airline's brand not to melt down. So there's been that piece of accountability missing beyond just kind of bare minimum consumer rights and protections, missing accountability for when airlines screw up, they need to pay the price. And if that accountability is missing, they're just going to keep screwing up. Um, So, you know, I I do hope something happens. You know, I've written one op-ed in my life at thriftytraveler.com and it's calling for exactly like this. Something like this. We published it in uh, December of 2021. And then a year later, nothing had changed. And Southwest was canceling tens of thousands of flights. So we published published it again. Um, and still nothing has changed. So, you know, my hopes aren't super high. Um, but I'm not giving up yet. I, I do think it's an important measure to not just do right by American travelers who are footing the bill when airlines screw up but also just to rein in the airlines. Alex, do you ever have to try to ask for compensation in the U.S.? Has ever happened to you? I don't even think I've tried. I'm sure there have been instances where <laughs> I was maybe had a reasonably strong case for something, but I think uh, because of exactly what Kyle just said, I haven't even bothered. And it's, you know, in here we have a framework uh, that is a legal framework where, and the point about frontline staff is so important because all they have to do is go, go to this website, Go to this website. Here's a piece of paper. Explains your rights, and it's the right. It's the same, irrespective of airline or airport or destination. If you're coming in and out of the EU, you are bound by this law. And I don't have to talk to 200, negotiate with 200 people, and also negotiate with my my supervisor about what I can offer when I've got 200 people yelling at me. So I, I don't envy them. I really for such. a American consumer protection law isn't actually that bad, but it's amazing for such a tightly regulated industry. The airline world has been able to get away with zero regulation or accountability on this front whatsoever, unless there's a major meltdown. Congress makes a lot of squawking noises for about a week to, to look good on TV. And then it's shelved again, as you say. So it's, and of course there's no incentive for the airlines to do it because people like me who are delayed or go, ah, it's too complicated. I'm just going to go deal with this over here exactly it's a free market means a free market and united just had their their own version of a meltdown you mentioned southwest was a few months ago i mean united is i think it's recovering by the time we're recording this Barely, yeah. still it's just <laughs> yeah it's not good um you know whether it's the scale of southwest or the scale of united more recently or the next one. I mean, I, I think the last two years have shown us all that these things are going to continue happening. And look, you know, EU 261 hasn't fixed the airline industry in Europe, um, not by any measure. But hey, at least there is that card to hand out to passengers so they know exactly what they're entitled to versus here in the States, which is if they could hand, hand out a card, it would probably just say nothing. Um, or whatever that airline agent deigns to give you based upon the clearance that they've gotten from their supervisor. All right. I just, there's after the Southwest meltdown, everybody got hauled in front of Congress during that period when, you know, Congress was squawking and it was in the headlines and whatever. Um, And someone from the main airline lobbying group, um, airlines for America 
was, was on the witness stand. And I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase very heavily here. Uh, so, you know, listeners, you can feel free to email Paul and take it up with him because <laughs> I'm telling you now I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, she said that European style regulations would be a disaster. And she did use the word disaster because it would kill cheap travel, which is what Americans want out of airlines. That second part is true. But, you know, as so, so far as I'm concerned, and, you know, I don't do a whole lot of flying over in Europe, but I do believe that there are some pretty decent fares over in Europe yeah. and that in many ways, they've that market has only increased since the introduction of EU 261. 100%. Yeah. Lack of competition is what robs yeah. the, the flying public of good fares, yeah. not regulation. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Lobbyists. Exactly. We have Wizz Air, we have EasyJet, we have Ryanair, we have Welling, we have, there's so many, every time Alex or I land at an airport and we talk about it, we always spot like this weird, and I'm like on Wikipedia, what's, what's this airline? And there's like a new low cost. Not all of them survive, but competition, competition. You, you can fly across Europe for 20 yeah. euros. I mean, it's just And they know that. Crazy. They know that it was a specious, spurious comment and they know it. They absolutely know it, but they know what resonates with people who want cheap airfare, which is, hey, nice cheap airfare you got there. Be a shame if something were to happen to it. Mm. So let's talk about happier things. Um, ORD. It's a very <laughs> oh, you had me going for a second there, Paul. <laughs> of course, we'll do it. We'll do your home airport. But so when I asked Kyle. Uh, which airport did you want to cover? Of course, obviously, I thought it would be MSP because that's your home airport and you know it so well. So we want to hear your view about it. You said I could also talk about ORD. It seems that the airport is your enemy or something. <laughs> so I haven't gone through ORD for a long while. You, Alex, have you been in recent? Uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. Did you like it, Alex? Uh, no, I don't like that airport for lots of reasons. Um which I want Kyle to... Uh... So, okay, let's go with the two of you. Uh, Kyle, why is it such a... <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to tell you two quick stories that just sum up my... Hatred is a strong word, but it's close for O'Hare. <laughs> First is, and I need to point out, I, I do need to connect through O'Hare a lot because my home airport, Minneapolis, has some international flights, but nowhere near the connectivity that O'Hare does. And that just makes O'Hare, you know, it's it's a 30-minute flight away. It's, it's pretty simple. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in O'Hare um, about to fly to Japan. And there was a light rain outside. Not a downpour, but a light rain. And I'm walking through the terminal. And I look up and there is a light through which water is just pouring out like <laughs> a budget version of the jewel at Changi in Singapore. <laughs> I mean, it's really just like Illinois was like, hey, what if we just poured water through this skylight? That would be kind of cool. It was like, how is this happening in one of the biggest airports in the United States when there's a light rain outside? So that one has always stuck with me. But the biggest the one... The only airport I remember that happening is in Manila, and that's a terminal that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, for good go reason. Sorry, go ahead. So <laughs> the other one is exactly what we were talking about, about unprotected connections. My wife and I were flying um, to Madrid uh, a couple of years ago through um, O'Hare, and we had an unprotect unprotected connection um, earlier that morning. But we gave ourselves like six hours 
So we were going to be good. We were flying out first thing in the morning. Um, wake up at about 4 a.m. to see our flight into O'Hare has been canceled. And so we're trying to call American Airlines. We were flying there. Nothing we can do. No flights available. Everything until at least 2 p.m. into O'Hare has been canceled for the day due to weather in, at, in Chicago. So we gave ourselves enough time, luckily, that we could rent a car, drive one way to, from Minneapolis to Chicago, which is about six and a half hours probably. I might be a little wrong about that. Yeah, but still. So we're, you do what you got to do to make sure you don't miss your connection because if we did, we would be screwed. So we, we make it to O'Hare um, to find just a the most beautiful February day I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> six and a half hours later. And it's just, O'Hare cannot handle weather at all. I mean, especially Minneapolis, we can get into it, but their snow plow and snow removal team is just absolutely world-class. Minneapolis can get clobbered with snow and flights will only be delayed by a little bit if they are at all. And, you know, Minneapolis gets so many diversions from O'Hare just because they cannot keep up. So, to top things off on this trip, as we're driving, we find out that um, my sister gave birth to our niece, her first child. So, it's just the most emotional roller coaster of a day. And luckily, we made it in time. We made it in time to make it to the lounge and get inordinately drunk to celebrate our niece I make the flight to Madrid and I tell myself never again am I connecting through O'Hare and I have to do it anyway and it just bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Alex? I, yeah, I, I've had not as um, epic stories as that, but I just find that every time I go through that airport, I'm like, what is happening? There's just so much disorganization and chaos and i remember like last time i flew there we were going to film and we were flying on the downwind leg of our landing and we kept going and going like over the lake and going and going and going and going and going to the point where the captain came on and said we're not asleep up here we know where we're going we're just on the longest down we've ever experienced because there's such a we're in rush hour and it added like nearly an hour to the flight time by the time we actually got no. on the ground. No way. Yeah, it was... Uh, and then there are other times where, you know, flights to Chicago, we've pushed back from wherever that I was going, like Miami or whatever, and just parked with one engine running because they were, the, 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 there may have been a cloud over Chicago at some point and they had to shut it down. But that airport, it's not... Just the public transport infrastructure is great. The interterminal travel is hilarious. It's uh, yeah, it's just not not my. The BA lounge there is terrible. So yeah, I does. But Chicago as a city is one of my favorite on earth. So you know you have to you have to endure that. Welcome to and departure from Chicago to appreciate the city. But I would also try and avoid it. Amen. So MSP then. What about uh, have you been to MSP? I have, Alex. Mm, let's say no. I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I should have checked before the show. I want to say yes, but I forgot to check. I think I've done a layover a long, long time ago. We're talking ten plus. I think I years. may be in the same boat, but I've got. I, I might as well have not been there. 
No, uh, yeah, I do. I have Delta. It was still at the time when I was Platinum on Sky Team through Air France and KLM. So Platinum was, I think, for Air France KLM. It was not Platinum Sky Team. That, that, that thing doesn't exist. And I was... The same mood I said earlier, I was trying to fly all airlines in the US that turned out great because I was flying Delta. Yes, I did a layover, but honestly, it's a long, long, long time ago. However, and I think I said that already when we covered it in uh, another episode, I forgot which one it was. With um, I have a good memory of it, which I cannot say about a lot of airports in the US. And I don't want to sound because I know that all the Americans will say, oh, what the hell? No, it's just that the philosophy of flying in the U.S. means that usually airports in the U.S. are more like a utility, uh, less of something grandiose. I mean, there's there's exceptions. I mean, you know, the the, the international terminal LAX is pretty cool. Uh, the, the upgrades, apparently they've made at LaGuardia must be cool. I'm hoping that the, the upgrades at JFK, uh, when they appear, will be cool, the TWA. So there are exceptions. But overall, the experience... Also because they're public utilities, so there's not a lot much shopping, whereas in, in Europe or in Asia, most of them are private, so there's an incentive to make you shop, which is why, for instance, in Heathrow, they won't um, tell you which gate you need to go to before a half an hour before the flight because they wanted to keep shopping because but that's one of their revenue, whereas US Airport don't have that. So all that to say, a very long way to say that I enjoyed my small layover at MSP. I don't remember why, but I remember that I did. <laughs> So tell us, I guess you like that airport. I do. And look, you know, Minnesotans have, a, I don't know whether to call it a superiority complex or an inferior. It's probably some, some of the two. Um, we think everything in Minnesota is the best thing ever. And we tell everybody about it um, in kind and sometimes not so kind ways. Um, but it, I think it is a good airport. And, you know, it's it's important to point out it is not by any stretch, the largest airport in the United States. I think it squeaks into the top 20 in terms of daily departures. Um, but it's efficient. Um, it's well-designed. They keep really good care of it. So, you know, this isn't the old LaGuardia Terminal B, um, which was horrible forever until the pandemic came and all of a sudden it's, oh, it's nice again. They're constantly improving the airport. There's a good mix of the utility that you're talking about where it just works well, it's there, it's run by the government, um, but also they're adding nice art features and redoing bathrooms. It's just, you. it's hard to have a bad experience at the airport unless if it's the airline's fault, which you can't say about every airport in the country. You can have a lot of bad experiences in O'Hare and JFK yeah. and LAX and yes, those are all much bigger airports and, and you know, the ability to, to move smoothly um, and do things well is, is easier with a smaller footprint. But man, it, the airport just does a lot of things right. And honestly, the biggest one that I hope people, especially my fellow Minnesotans, don't take for granted is that, you know, when we can get 12 inches of snow in a day and most flights are still getting on and off the ground on time or close to it, that is a miracle. That's amazing. And that, like we've talked about with other things, that does not come cheap. That is a level of investment in snow removal that is absolutely unparalleled, which I have never sounded more Minnesotan in my entire life than bragging about <laughs> snow removal, but it is cool. And it is so cool to watch that uh, conga line of snow plows go up and down the runway to clear things every, you know, 30, 45 minutes as they need to. Um, 
because it is something that you just do not see to the same level almost anywhere else. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it uh, that's amazing. That really is amazing because it it's not I think also just the investment in the infrastructure, it's the expertise as well, and experience and being able to do that and see when the writing is on the wall and you know you're going to get dumped on that that is, you know, that things just happen. I mean, you see it in the Nordics. Uh to an extent because they have the exact same attitude that you do and you know not just in the in the snow clearing prowess which is very important but also in the pride in their smaller airports we we do not have that here i thought you were about to say their arrogance their arrogance <laughs> yeah they i mean there's a connection right between the nordics and minnesota there sure is at least spiritually so yeah there you go that's maybe you've inherited it from them or they've been inspired by by your pioneering uh, spirit but yeah it's 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 very impressive because it was it was Fortress Northwest for the longest time, wasn't it? It it was and Delta by default now. Um, but yeah, no, uh, there. It- you just rejig my memory. Northwest. I flew Northwest there, not Delta. I was like trying to figure out. Yeah, because I was flying. I was flying. I was a Northwest flyer m- mostly, not Delta flyer, because I was still based in Japan. And uh, that was one of the best ways to go to, because they had these flights, you know, to go to Guam, to go to Manila, to go to, and it was mostly Northwest. And then it became Delta, um, to, when was it, 2012, they merged or something? 20, like, uh, it started in 2008, 2009, might have finished in 2010 or 11, somewhere, somewhere yeah, in there. That's what I meant. By the, t- by the time I, I didn't see the Northwest livery, the menu, the color scheme and everything, that's, that's yeah, that's what I meant. And and um, you mentioned earlier Delta One that you're going to fly to. How 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 is Delta One? Does it? Uh, can you give us like a comparison to like another business class, first class, whatever you want to call it? You've done. Is it a good? It's. I know there's multiple ones, but the international long haul ones. I'm talking. Is it a good experience? If you get one of the newer planes, so an A350 or an A330 900 Neo, it is a good experience. I would say it's substantially better at least in my limited experience than any of the major u.s carriers and definitely some if not many of the major international ones i mean it's not this is not qatar airways or qatar i'm sorry as you call it um or singapore or whatever else go down the list of the of the top five but it's good you know they're good seats they're private you know on those 350s and 330 neos they've got the suites with the closing doors which it's a little bit of a gimmick, but also quite nice. Yeah, right. It, yeah, don't you think as well? I'm happy that you say that because, I mean, everybody's doing a door nowadays. Uh, I've seen like five announcements in the past four weeks of doors and doors and doors. And I'm like, yeah, but really, I don't know if it changes anything because most of these seats anyway, the way the layout was played, you couldn't see anyone else anyway in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, the problem, I think, is that there's an impulse it seems to to treat doors as because it is buzzy and people seem to like it, it becomes lipstick on a pig. Um, or at the very least, it becomes a long-term solution that really is only going to work for a short while because the ability to slap a door on, a, on an off-the-rack seat is something that's going to work for a while but is going to inhibit actual innovation and doing something new and exciting. And it's one more thing to break. And one more thing to break, and they do break often. Yeah. Do they? I think. Oh, yeah. Actually, probably. Yeah. I just, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. So, which leads us to 
I always we always ask to uh, to our guests to bring us one, two, three. Could be only one. Could be five stories. But memorable, memorable flight. It can be like the worst flight in your life. It can be the best flight in your life. Or you can be an emotional flight. It could be anything. Which flight do you want to share with us today? So uh, about five years ago, my wife and I went on our honeymoon, and we went to Bali. And this was actually the first time that I ever flew international business class. So full disclosure. The rose-colored glasses are on and they are rose-colored because we flew EVA Air Royal Oil Business Class from Chicago to Taipei. Yes, I had to go through O'Hare again. <laughs> and as luck would have it, it was the Hello Kitty flight that EVA Air is famous for. And it was, oh, I mean, uh, on the one hand, it was just a phenomenal flight. And in fact, I think I'm pretty sure I messaged you about it and told you you needed to fly EVA yeah. Air because it was so phenomenal. And Paul did fly it and said, eh, you know what? It wasn't that no, great. Yeah. Which it was not. It, it no, happens. But it, <laughs> it, was happens. Not, it was not the Hello Kitty plane. That, that's where you went yeah. wrong. You didn't fly it. No. I, look, yeah. full, again, I just want to be clear. I am not the world's biggest Hello Kitty fan. I did not seek this flight out. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was at peace with it going into it. We thought we were going to get product changed out of it, and we got there that day, and we went to the went to the check in desk, and she printed out our Hello Kitty boarding passes, and was like, "Well, I guess this is happening, all right." <laughs> But it was, it was there. There was the spectacle of it of um, ev almost everything, almost everything except for the toilet paper was Hello Kitty branded. I mean, the menu, the slippers. Um, there's special painting hung on the bulkhead with Hello Kitty and her pals in it. <laughs> um, you know, they, they pour the nice rosé champagne. Um, they do rosé for Hello. I mean, it's just <laughs> over the top in the absolute best way possible. But it also struck a really important balance because it didn't, you know, impede on an otherwise just a really, really nice flight. And, you know... I will fully admit that I may be totally over the top in my love for this flight and for EVA as a whole because it was our honeymoon and it was my first time flying international business class. Um, so, I'm excited to actually take not one but two Hello Kitty flights this summer as we go back to Bali for our fifth anniversary because we're flying no. again to O'Hare. This is a recurring theme. Uh, to Taipei and then down to Bali and both legs are now Hello Kitty flights because they brought that back earlier this summer. So, I will get to try it again and figure out if I am just completely over the moon because of my own emotions and personal experience or if it is really that good. But it was really that good. And honestly, when I think about it, the biggest thing is what I think we would probably all agree absolutely makes or breaks a flight, which is service. Mm -hmm. um, you can have 100. You can have a bad flight in the world's best business class or first class seat because the service isn't up to par. But you can have a great flight in a substandard fleet if the crew makes up for it. It's the biggest X factor, and in this case, it worked out for us um, in spades, and it just may not have worked out for you, Paul. <laughs> Maybe I was just unlucky. I, you know. It's always hard to judge because when you go, I've only flew them once, right? So it's really hard to judge. But it's true that it's often when you have such an experience, it's the beginning of a love affair. Exactly. Um, I mean, for every kind of experience, for airlines, all my decisions uh, 
like I said, for instance, that I was flying mostly Sky Team and I switched, it was because of such occurrences where I would fly occasionally something else and I was like, come on, this is too good to, I need to stop flying. Plus, as I mean, people know that as well. I'm not a huge fan of KLM. <laughs> so, though I've heard that their new near new seats and stuff are, are, are getting much better. They go actually a lot, they go to Taipei. I, I, that's how I went to Taipei myself with KLM, which was, uh, people will remember the worst beef I ever had in my life. And that's horrible because it stays with me. And every time I see a fly with KLM on my searches, I'm like, beef, ah, that beef, <laughs> yeah. you can have the smell at the back of my throat. I'm like, oh, oh no, <laughs> that's just no, but it is, it is those things that stay with you, right? Like for me, it's, it's actually the, one of the, the biggest things behind, besides the, the Hello Kitty of it all, um, my my wife is a cheesecake fanatic and she that was dessert um after the meal which was an amazing meal that on most airlines when you depart at 12 30 a.m it's rushed um feels really forced it feels like they want you to get fed and put to bed and the crew couldn't have been nicer the food overall couldn't have been a whole lot better and then to cap it off with what my wife said was one of the best cheesecakes she's ever eaten. It's like, wow, that is just one of those things where it takes thought and care to make that happen, especially on a flight like that. Yeah, absolutely. So did you engineer to fly Hello Kitty again, or are these flights that go every day, is Hello Kitty anyway from ORD? You can answer honestly. <laughs> this, is, this is another happy accident. Um, so we, we booked this flight, um, you know, probably last October, um, I'm guessing. And then around about April of this year, EVA had, had suspended all of the Hello Kitty service and grounded the, the Hello Kitty branded planes for, for the entire pandemic. Um, but around April, they announced that um, they were bringing it back. It was going to start flying from O'Hare to Taipei and back, um, and then from Taipei down to Denpasar and Bali. Um, on a different jet and it just so happened that we booked those flights on that day. So barring a schedule change or something, we are getting another 20 hours full of Hello Kitty. <laughs> amazing. This, this is amazing. However, uh, it's Star Alliance, right? It is, yes. So uh, to, to the beginning of our, of our conversation, you were not forcing yourself to go on Sky Team because you fly Delta. No, no. Um, and, and that's the thing, right, is, you know, we we wanted to go where we wanted to go um and i personally and very selfishly wanted to test whether five years later is is my love affair for eva air real or was it was it just the product of my hello kitty tinted glasses that i had <laughs> on at the time um so we'll find out in a couple of months have you flown a fr uh, not for a long long time when i was a teenager so doesn't count. Oh, yeah, when you were living there. In yeah, Asia, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, I have no plans. But I want to go back to Taipei, though. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. Well, you have to come back and tell us what that flight was like. However, I'm, I'm interested in testing the other one. Uh, what's the name? Um, China Ch Airlines. China Airlines. And that's, that's a Sky yeah. Team airline. Oh, say, now that you said that. Not, <laughs> of course. I've lost all my Star Alliance anyway, so I don't, I don't <laughs> have a, a beef in the game any, a, a, anyway. Though... Uh, Lufthansa keeps like reminding me why you're not flying with me with us anymore. Why are you not flying? Yeah, you can buy it. You can buy your status back. Yeah, I could actually. 
I could even buy my gold status back, but I'm like, forget it. it makes no sense, man. That that would be the the the, the, the epitome of the emotion, like buying a status. No, no, thank you. <laughs> just to say that I have it for one more year. For how many thousands of dollars? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I have a reduced price because I haven't been X years. But you know, I don't know even know what's the actual price. So what a reduced price mean? I've 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 no idea. <laughs> Uh, zero idea. <laughs> Any other flight you want to share with us? Any other um, uh, experience? Of course, this one is it's hard to beat. the top, I get. But is there any other flights that you want to share? That's that's a tough one. You no, know, I don't have a flight, but I do have a, a memory when you, you sent this to me that I've been thinking about a lot lately and about, I think, why the, the destination and the experience should be so important. Because this is one that's like I... It was at this point seven, eight years ago, and I still I see it vividly in my mind of being in Vietnam for the first time and going to Bia Hoi fresh beer, which they sell for like twelve cents a glass. And you know, in Hanoi, there's the big Bia Hoi corner, which is you know where a lot yep. of the tourists go. Um, and we went there yeah. too, but we decided one night, you know what, we're just gonna find a random place on the west side of town, and we're gonna go there. We went there and very quickly started to regret our decision because there was not a lick of English anywhere on a menu um, or from the staff. And we're sitting there looking at the menu and there's this guy that probably hasn't seen an American in years, if ever, just staring at us while chain smoking. And it became a little uncomfortable for a while until he just leans over with a cigarette in his mouth and taps at two things on the menu and just goes, flashes a big thumbs up with a smile. So we're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. So the staff comes over, we, you know, hold up two fingers for two beers and then point at the, at the two things and the food comes out. And of course it's delicious. And there's the guy with another fresh cigarette in his mouth, looking at us with a huge smile on his face. And he kind of shrugs his shoulders with his thumbs up again. We give him the thumbs up back. And it was just of all of the travel experiences I've ever had in my life. And I have been inordinately lucky to have a lot of them that one is just it's there constantly like that is the standard of a travel experience for me now love it we're both uh, alex and i you cannot see guys because we're not on camera we're opining both because just, exactly what i seek all the yeah. time if i it doesn't always happen but that's that's why i get lost in cities i want i want to find that exactly that level of connection that level of connection where you don't need words where people are just trying to help you and then you connect after um, and make it clear that someone helped you. It was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. What a great story. Um, Alex, what are your next flights? Uh, one, because I don't want to spoil it because there's... Yeah, one. I'll give you one. I'm going to California on Monday, the BA uh, and my kids. Uh, so, done that before. It's a bastard of a flight because it's about 10 and a bit hours and it's daylight and you know i i'm i'm in my 40s and i find that interminable but for a five-year-old uh it is might as well be days so but they're really good about it so i am looking forward to it you'll have your steam deck anyway yeah but i won't get to use it because i will be corralling three bored children (laughs) no but yeah yeah they've got their devices (laughs) and their screens and they're good travelers so i'm not worried about that exactly again we won't say what are the other ones because it will be for you to discover the next what about you kyle uh any uh, upcoming flights you want to share? Yeah, my, my wife and I... Uh, ORD, obviously. <laughs> I'm just not even going to leave the airport. I'm just going to soak it in. Soak in the hatred and use it to fuel my hellfire <laughs> and motivate me to 
never do it again even though I <laughs> on this trip that we just <laughs> talked about I'm flying out of O'Hare and then back into O'Hare because I apparently I just hate myself I think it's the only <laughs> explanation for that no um my wife and I are are flying into Boston uh shortly and uh, doing a road trip up into the coast of Maine. So, go mm. up to Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park um, for just, you know, basically a long weekend, but really looking forward to that. Beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. As for me, very few flights. I mean, lots in the fall. What do I have? I have something in Europe, but I forgot. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to Athens for sure. And I think I'm going maybe to Sofia mm. in Bulgaria as well. And I have another one that just eludes me. And of course, when I will press stop, it will come back. But never mind. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the next episode was going to be all about Alex telling us about uh, is <laughs> No, Alex, you'll have to have a lot of water to talk for two hours straight because uh, we want to hear all about it. Kyle as well. He will be tuning in. And maybe finally, again, for those, uh, because people are going to say, Paul, you never put any show notes. I will put your Twitter and a few things that you'll tell me in the show notes. But repeat for people who want to follow you or discover uh, your writings, where to find it. Yeah, you can uh, find it every day at thriftytraveler.com. Um, and then, you know, I post some stories and also say, questionably mean things sometimes to mean people on twitter at uh, k potter mn k potter mn i'll put it in the show notes i promise you if i don't you're allowed to say mean uh, things send me yeah. hate mail like i receive <laughs> <laughs> i receive all the time because i always forget to put stuff in the show notes i'll run the end music and we can talk over it there you go and now i'm not in focus anymore Ah, man, that was great. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking oh, the thank time. You for your, your thank you for your time and your A lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I hope that you're going to give us um, updates uh, once you've done these two Hello Kitty flights. I, oh, I, I very gladly will. Expect a diatribe in your inboxes at some point, <laughs> uh, you know, in late September. And you will... Uh, you will again convince me to try ever again. So this time I might actually do it again. I, yeah. I think I need to go to the Hello Kitty. Fight. We yeah. should, Alec. No, I think should, uh, uh, that's, that's record an episode live from from the Hello Kitty flight. That would be. Yeah, we need pink microphones. Ooh. Alex, go on Amazon. <laughs> pink microphones. <laughs> anyway, everyone, happy flying. Safe travels, guys. Safe travels. <laughs>